Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Under Further Review with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And uh, we're back with you this week with uh, more Bill Cosby news, um, which I think is where we're going to um, start things off. So um, we talked with you during our last episode um, about what was going on in the trial, um, testimony from the victim, and the idea that uh, Mr. Cosby had been decided if he was going to testify or not. Um, since then, the defense, I think, questioned the, uh, called the police detective as a witness and then wrapped up their case, and then rested. Mm-hmm. um, which is somewhat unusual. Uh, usually, even though, you know, technically the law doesn't require the defendant to prove their innocence, just to poke enough holes in the prosecution's theory of the case to show that you can't convict beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, normally though, defendants will put up some kind of defense to explain away the allegations. Um, Bill Cosby chose not to do that. And, uh, it appears to have worked at least temporarily, um, because the jury after six days of deliberations, um, was hopelessly deadlocked and a mistrial was declared, um, earlier this week. Yeah. I mean, the strategy is that you must be very confident mm-hmm. in the fact that the prosecution hasn't proven its case or that when they were trying to prove its case, you did poke enough holes to leave reasonable doubt. So, um, as you said, most of the time you would put up a defense, you know, just in case, but they must have been feeling pretty confident and didn't put anyone on aside from that one detective. And I guess their, their argument that Andrea Constand, uh, dressed inappropriately and, uh, was asking for it seemed to resonate with some of the jurors, um, based on the comments that they have made, um, since, the trial wrapped up. Um, the jurors have all been identified. It sounds like there have been some conflicting reports as to why they were deadlocked, but there have been comments coming out of, um, so coming from some of the jurors that, you know, Andrea Constant showed up wearing a crop top and, uh, was carrying bath salts. And I think those literally mean like the bath product, not the <laughs> drug turned him into a zombie. Um, so, you know, she knew what she was getting herself into and therefore somehow consented to be uh, touched without her consent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that on some of the counts, there were 10 jurors who were voting to convict mm-hmm. Bill Cosby and then two holdout jurors that would not change their mind. Um, even after six days of deliberation, I think one juror spoke out on one of the morning TV shows, like Good Morning America or something. I can't remember which one, but basically said that um, some of the jurors might have felt that the arguments were too legal and too technical. And, I mean, like the eye rolling that took place when I read that. I was like, uh. I mean, I understand that part of, like, you have a jury of peers and you know, the prosecution and the defense aren't talking to their peers or talking to people. And yeah, you do need to explain how these things work in a way that everyone can understand within the context of the law. But, um, to say that these issues were, you know, too technical or too legal, like, I guess you either believe that a woman who's been drugged can consent or cannot consent is, um, is, is, I don't know, apparently beyond some people's abilities to to comprehend and process. But. Um, and so there was one juror who made a comment that, you know, the um, the this is the person who was talking about um, Andrea Constant wearing a crop top, I say with uh, air quotes. So um, the juror commented on the condition of anonymity because why would you say 
shitty things in public and have your name tied to them. Um, that, you know, she was very well coached. Let's face it. She went up to his house at the bare midriff and incense and bath salts. What the heck? And it's, you know, I, this is, I guess this is sort of a commentary on our legal system, not actual like laws, but ugh, you wonder why people don't come forward with mm -hmm. allegations of sexual assault. And this is the response you get. Like, unless you're wearing, unless you're dressed like an Amish person, yeah. no offense to Amish people. Um, and you know, you have a baseball bat that you're trying to fight somebody off with, then you've somehow brought this on yourself. Um, and it's just, it's just gross. Yeah. To say the juror went on to say there was no stained garment, no smoking gun, nothing. I'm not sure how the fact that Bill Cosby admitted in his deposition testimony, which was shared with the jury that he regularly provided drugs to women and then had sex with them, um, amounts to nothing. It's just, um, you can probably sense the frustration in my voice. Um, it's whole thing is just really disappointing. I guess the one silver lining in all of this is that because it's a mistrial, um, the DA in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, I think it's Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. um, has said they're going to, you know, reevaluate their evidence. And um, their plan at this point is to retry Bill Cosby for these, um, for this crime. Um, because of it's a mistrial and he was not found not guilty, the double jeopardy concept doesn't kick in. So um, they can still bring him uh, attempt to bring him to justice again. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, Mr. Cosby is being sued civilly um, in California by some of his victims. I believe, as we talked about last time, Andrea Constan's assault is the only one that I think the statute of limitations hadn't expired on. So that's why kind of holding him criminally liable rested on her and her case. Uh, but the, um, I'm not totally familiar with the applicable statutes of limitations um, with respect to the civil cases that may be, they're being filed in California, but it sounds like that's the avenue that some of the women who can't seek criminal redress are, are taking with him. Um, and at least one of these women is represented by Gloria Allred. For those of you who follow Celebrity Justice, she will be a very familiar name. Um, she's kind of made her... Uh, made her career out of defending women who've been victims of um, domestic abuse, um, sexual assaults. She represented, I think, some of the uh, women who were alleging they've been assaulted by President Trump. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. I believe she was involved in the, uh, the O.J. Simpson case, so she's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and the first, uh, maybe one of the first civil cases against Bill Cosby um, is sort of starting on Tuesday, uh, where um, they're going to set a trial date for one of the civil actions. Um, sort of in other Bill Cosby news related to this um, really, really disappointing. Disappointing is not even like a strong enough word for how I feel about um, what went on. Absolutely. I mean, I I understand if you feel that like if the prosecution didn't do its job. Right. Um, but to say that, you know, essentially Andrea Constant was asking for what happened to her just... I, I have no words. Um, but Bill Cosby has said through a spokesperson, I believe, that he is going to uh, go out on a speaking tour and have these town hall meetings where he's going to provide advice for young men um, to, to avoid sexual assault allegations. Um, and I mean, What's his advice going to be? Like, you can get away with it, you know? It's... Uh... 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really horrible. So according to his uh, spokesperson, I think his name is, I want to say Andrew Wyatt, um, that basically he said, this issue can affect any young person, especially young athletes of today. They need to know what are what they are facing when they're hanging out and partying, what they are doing, certain things they shouldn't be doing. And it also affects, you know, married men. And, um, and uh, his wife's spokesperson, so Camille Cosby has a spokesperson too, and her spokesperson is Ebony Benson, and she has said that because the statute of limitations for sexual assaults are being extended, that men are now being subject to criminal charges for, well, according to her, almost nothing. A brush against the shoulder, you know, and anything at this point can be considered sexual assault. So... It's really when people say things like that, this that do a disservice to people who are actual victims of sexual assault trying to seek justice or redress in our society. Um, and I, I, I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, I know the phrase, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women is thrown around a lot, but I feel like Camille Cosby, um, uh, there are, I mean, Bill Cosby's obviously the key wrongdoer here, so to be clear, um, not trying to equate what Camille Cosby's doing now with what he actually did, but um, she's a fucking monster. Like, this is just awful, and, you know, what if it were her daughters? Would she think twice about pretending like, oh, this poor man who's getting accused of doing basically nothing. No one is saying that Bill Cosby brushed somebody's shoulder. They're Mm -hmm. saying he drugged women and forced himself on them. Like, there's a big goddamn difference, and for her to pretend otherwise, like, go back to your fucking farm in western Massachusetts and leave us alone. This is, oh. <laughs> anyway. I didn't even know she was from a farm in western Massachusetts. You learn something new every day. I only, well, I I guess I know that because I grew up in Massachusetts, and they were, um, he, I know he's associated with a lot of schools in Philadelphia, but I think he also had some association with the University of Massachusetts. He might have gotten oh, a doctor there or something, so. For some reason, I thought she meant the Camille Cosby. Well, they live there now. They have a farm. Oh, okay. They have a farm in Western Massachusetts. Got it. Um, yeah, so that's what's happening with the with the Bill Cosby um, trial mistrial. I don't know when a new trial will be set for or what the what the timeline is. Because again, I mean, his health is continuing to decline and but i don't know uh, maybe not maybe he's he's well enough to go out on these speaking engagements well so. his spokesperson mr wyatt was shaking his fist outside the courtroom saying bill cosby has his power back um i don't know that mr wyatt understands that he was not found not guilty <laughs> to be clear um and it sounded like unless i have the numbers flipped which are my um more most of the jurors believe that he was yeah, guilty. it was 10 to 2. two. So 10 jurors believe that he was guilty of at least one of the um one of the counts and um and then two against. And then I think it might the numbers might have been different to some of the other counts. Sure. But yeah. But you just really need one person to hold out. Yeah. This is the advice for people who want to uh engage in jury nullification. Well, no, I guess jury nullification is when you have evidence that they really did it and you just decide to find them not guilty anyway, <laughs> um, which we, I recall learning about in criminal procedure, but um, you shouldn't do that. It's, it's, well, I guess it depends on what's happening with the system, but anyway. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's 
horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, which brings us to our next really horrible, horrible story. We are, we are just rays of sunshine for you guys today. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough week. I'm glad we have, we finally uh, correct, fixed our iTunes listing to have the explicit rating <laughs> on it, because um, you're going to need it today. <laughs> Um, so, so, so an expanded reality TV stoop, um, our, one of our main stories is that, uh, recently the production on Bachelor in Paradise was halted because a producer, uh, raised an issue to, I guess the show's creators and the show's runners saying that she thought that one of the Bachelors in Paradise contestants was being assaulted. Um, and so they halted production. So... To give you some background on Bachelor in Paradise, I'm going to turn this over to Burke. Sure. So, for those of you who aren't in the know, um, to be clear, I've only watched two seasons of the Bachelor, Bachelorette uh, franchise, and then one season of Bachelor in Paradise, and it made me feel gross and disgusting, and I stopped. Which, having heard all the prior reality TV stoops, you know was saying a lot for me. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) Bachelor in Paradise is a spinoff from the Bachelor, Bachelorette franchise, um, where basically contestants who were not selected to be the betrothed of the bachelor or bachelorette go off to Mexico um, where they drink all day um, and hang out and they kind of pair off into couples and then it's still a competition because they'll send in like even after the show has started like new people will show up and people get voted off through rose ceremonies still so every sort of every other week well, it's a different, some weeks the men have the roses, some weeks the women have the roses. And so that whole episode leading up to the rose ceremony is um, trying to make sure you're in a solid enough couple that the other person will give you a rose so you get to stay on for a week. So <laughs> what do you win? Well, like, the whole point is that after a three-week, like, drunken, drunken, uh, back in Yeah, you're supposed to get engaged. Like, oh that's, that's the goal here. <laughs> okay. So similar to The Bachelor in that the goal is to... Right. Okay. All right. I didn't know if you, like, won a car or something. No. No. You won a fake fucking relationship. <laughs> um, I, the show might pay for your engagement ring. I don't know. But okay. um, anyway. So that's um, that's sort of the premise. It's just... It's crazy. Uh, but, you know, people are ridiculous. And it was a little fun to watch. But it's, it was also gross and horrifying. So... Um, but my understanding events. is that they really do sort of encourage people to drink a lot because obviously that makes for more interesting TV viewing. Sure. And then like whether you hook up or not, I'm sure probably hooking up with different people is encouraged as well. I mean, I don't. Well, yeah, because there's drama there. Yes. Like, is mm-hmm. you know, are you going to keep this guy or the other guy? And um, yes, the bartender whose name I can't remember right now. Um, he became like kind of a character on the show because they do spend a lot of time at the bar and he dispenses advice. Um, so yeah, it's definitely drinking is encouraged. Stories have come out as part of this whole um, sexual assault investigation that, you know, producers, they come up with storylines and they'll tell the contestants when they get there, like, we kind of want to see what happens with you guys mm-hmm. to, you know, a particular couple. Um, so there's definitely, this is not just like how do relationships develop organically. Um, oh, it's a very manipulated. Shocking, I know. <laughs> it's um, like wrestling. Yeah, or wrestling. Right. Um, so like after last season of Bachelor in Paradise, I think there were two or three engagements. One couple just got married. That's the Evan guy? Evan, who's terrible. Oh, okay. He's one of those awful men who like acts like he's really like 
progressive and forward thinking, and really he's just she's just awful. Is awful. he the cuz oh, he's the he's the erectile dysfunction doctor <laughs> who when he was on JoJo's season of the Bachelorette like every time his name would come up it would just say erectile dysfunction <laughs> underneath his name which is tough. <laughs> and he's a tattletale like his whole thing was when one guy was being shady he would go and tattle That's on right. him and you know I don't necessarily subscribe to the whole like snitches get stitches theory of things but it's also it's not attractive it's to not a good look for men to be whining about how mean other guys are anyway um and <laughs> and just for clarification the only reason why I remember Evan is because Jojo's season is probably the one season that I watched with some regularity because, because of Jordan Rogers yeah, because of Jordan Rogers <laughs> And I have a little bit of a crush on, was it Luke, the guy? Oh, Luke, yeah, who played music. He was supposed to be the next Bachelor, Mm -hmm. but then that fell through. Um, But I think he might be dating somebody from the Bachelor universe. uh, I just can't, I'm sure I saw that online somewhere. That universe keeps expanding, it's sort of like a black hole, so pretty soon we will all be enveloped in the Bachelor universe. But uh, getting back to the Bachelor in Paradise story. That's why we had to have an expanded reality to these two folks hanging there with us. (laughs) So um, a producer saw Kareen Olympios and Demario Jackson in a pool um, where I think the allegation is that she was, um, they were engaging in oral sex because he was too drunk to engage in penetrative sex, according to one of the sources. Um, but the but the but the claim was that um, Corrine might have been too drunk to have actually provided consent to what was happening. Right. So one of the um, the anonymously sourced stories that um, is making the rounds on the internet was that um, Corinne and Demario were in a hot tub mm. where Demario was trying to have sex with her, except she was so drunk she kept sliding into the water, and he was so trying to hold her up and just turned into a real mess. So then he dragged her out of the hot tub. At which point, other behavior People. ensued, and it was all caught on camera. And a producer, I believe she was a producer, was um, horrified by what she was seeing. Now she didn't step in either to stop things. Um, she she just reported it. I believe so. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's the way that the story has been reported. God knows what actually happened. Um, so after she reported this and was apparently very upset that um, you know nobody stepped in to stop this or to help Corinne out. Um, or to, you know, tell Mario, like, you're drunk, you're making terrible decisions, like, go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next day, this the producer did not show up to work, um, filed, like, a hostile work environment complaint, um, and then production was halted on the show with so, people getting sent home. Yes, so Warner Brothers did an investigation. Um, they reviewed the, <laughs> the investigation, worked in air quotes again, yeah. um, where they reviewed the video, and I'm, I'm assuming, and this is probably too presumptuous on my part, but assuming that they spoke to the people who were, um, who probably witnessed a bunch of the stuff happening, probably even the bartender got yeah. uh, interviewed. Um, so according to Warner Brothers, um, nothing, I guess, unlawful or violative of Warner Brothers policies happened. Um, but there was continued fallout in that um, Demario Jackson did get fired from his job. Mm-hmm. And um, Corinne, is it Corinne or Corinne? I actually don't know. I didn't okay. watch Nick's season of The Bachelor, so I'm not sure how they pronounce her name. So we'll <laughs> just go with Corinne. She has, um, she's lawyered up. Yeah. And she said that she was blackout drunk and doesn't recall any of that evening. Um, so... So she's not commenting right now. Any comments are are being made by her attorney. Um, 
there were some people on the show who said that the producer who reported the um, the assault was Corinne's producer on the Bachelor season, so right. they had a They're... fairly close relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she and... wasn't actually there at the time that all this happened. She just heard sort of second and third hand accounts of the incident. But unlike a lot of incidents, uh, you know, a lot of sexual assault allegations, there's actually video of this, which would probably go a long way in helping an investigator determine. I mean, what you would happened. think, but um, no, I. I We've seen a lot of incidents where things happen on videotape and people still decide that, oh, nothing went wrong here. So, um, to your point, though, you would think that uh, if this was recorded, there'd be kind of irrefutable evidence that either something happened Mm -hmm. or it did not. Yeah, Jackson is saying that uh, it's unfortunate that his character and his family name have been assassinated. Um, And I I understand the... uh, I understand why his employer would move to terminate him. I just have a problem with the employer saying that there was some sort of nexus to the workplace, like well, his yeah. his behavior. That I mean, and what he, does he do. He it looks like he might be a high level executive recruiter or something like that. Maybe that's something oh. that I read. Huh. Um, but you know, most of the time, if you're going to get fired, again, he's probably an at-will employee in the private sector, and you can be fired for any reason or no reason, so long as it's not an unlawful reason. Um, But I would tend to think that, like, if you're going to fire someone for an event like this, that you would want to be able to draw back, like, draw, go back to, like, how it's connected to your work, um, and how it impacts your work, as opposed to something that it's done entirely um, out separate and apart from your work, but that's just me. Again, they don't really need to have a reason to fire him, but that's... For it to fall so quickly on the heels of this event would lead you to believe that it is related to this event. Um, So he... Corinne Olympios has hired an attorney. She's apparently in therapy for physical and emotional trauma. She has referred to herself publicly as a victim here, although there have been reports that she doesn't actually blame Demario Jackson for anything. She's upset that nobody stepped in to stop him um, at the time, so kind of casting the blame on the um, producers, uh, although I I don't know that there are confirmed reports that um, Olympios has actually said that Jackson shouldn't be held responsible for all this. Um, yeah, it's it seems like the story is just sort of like transformed as like the, day, the days pass and the more information that comes out. So, because um, there's now some really spectacular victim blaming that um, Corinne Olympios forced herself on other men on the that were on the show. Now, to take a step back, she was on the last season of The Bachelor. I think she made it to the top four and was really cast as this like villain who was you know super sexual and like constantly like taking her top off and throwing herself at nick and because we're supposed to pretend like all of these women who have gone on television to try and get a husband are you know like chaste virginal uh butter would melt in their mouths types um she was made out to be kind of like this jezebel who was terrible and the narrative that's coming out of some of the other contestants seems to be continuing that theme that she really to the extent anything happened, she brought it on herself because she was um, being aggressive towards some of the men on the show. 
um, for a really good sort of analysis of kind of how the Bachelor drives the storylines and the narratives of like we really want essentially chaste women to be victorious like over more like harlots or whatever um the ringer juliet Littman wrote a pretty good article about that probably last week sometime that sort of goes into looking at like how the bachelor culture has really like created this um you know created not only what happened in bachelor in paradise but sort of that idea of um categorizing women in in very stereotypical and two-dimensional ways and um, yeah, and uh, Jew Lemon's a pretty good writer. I'll give her that. So, um, yeah. and very knowledgeable about the Bachelor franchise. So uh, she drives me bonkers when I have to listen to her. But reading her <laughs> is a much more pleasant experience. Um, so, just a few days ago, the uh, Warner Brothers completed its investigation and found that no misconduct mm-hmm. had taken place, and, and that none of the cast members' safety was in jeopardy. Which Either they have a really narrow definition of what it means to be in Jeopardy, or the whole Corinne was going limp and falling into the <laughs> hot tub, almost drowning, drowning. Yeah. didn't happen. Um, obviously, none of the tapes have not been released publicly. As far as um, has been reported publicly, uh, Jackson and Olympios have not seen the tapes. Corinne Olympios has said she was blacked out that night, has no memory of anything that happened to her, mm-hmm. um, and Jackson, of course, is denying all of the allegations that have been made against him. Um, but her uh, Corinne Olympios' lawyer has issued a statement saying that they're going to continue with their own investigation, um, basically putting everybody on notice that they um, may file a lawsuit. Um, and at the conclusion of the investigation, they Warner Brothers decided to resume filming on Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah. They were going to, um, according to some articles, have implement some new rules or protocols uh, to sort of limit the amount of drinking that takes place. Or which you know, uh, I've found this sometimes it comes up in my pra- in my practice when like if you're saying that we didn't do anything wrong, I've never had to deal with people getting like <laughs> shit based and then potentially sexually assaulted at work. But you know, if, if the idea someone says like my employer has done X. Mm-hmm. wrong and you know the employer thinks they haven't done anything wrong mm-hmm. there's a fine line between like well maybe there are some things we could improve we still don't want to admit we've done anything wrong and it's like well if you didn't do anything wrong why do you have to fix things mm-hmm. so it's it's a little bit of kind of circular logic i guess but it kind of begs the question like why do you need to put new protocols into place if really nothing bad happened and uh well um you know just coming at it from the other side like, I think people can always do things better uh, just because what you're doing now is not necessarily unsafe. It might not necessarily be a best practice. So, <laughs> you know, from from my from looking at it, it's like, well, do you really want to have a show? And obviously they do because it's Bachelor in Paradise and the whole point is to get drunk and, like, fuck people. But, like, is that really – I guess it's whether or not, like, you have adults – who, you know, engage in whatever activities they want to engage in, but the fact that you're encouraging those activities and whether or not you're like, okay, we're going to draw the line and say, yes, that's available to you, but we're not actually going to encourage you to drink or we're not going to basically, like, greet you every morning with a bottle of champagne or, you know, I mean, I don't, whatever, I don't know what their protocols are, their revised protocols, but there could be something that they have decided that, you know, they don't want to 
be as an enablers of particular actions. I think they might have talked about what the protocols were, but yeah. And you know what I, I guess what I found sort of odd about the whole thing is that on the, the Warner brothers investigation seems to have very clearly said nothing happened here. There's you know nothing to see, mm-hmm. nothing went wrong. It seems like they could have come to the conclusion that like the sexual assault didn't happen, but you know, upon reflection and based on this investigation, like we're going to take steps to, um, you know, better ensure the safety of our contestants, but they didn't go that far. They just said like, no, nothing, nothing to see here. There's no problem. Everybody is fine, but we're going to stop forcing, um, alcohol on people. Yeah. So, um, according to TMZ, one of the new, uh, protocols is that contestants will have their luggage checked when they arrive, uh, for both legal and not legal drugs. So... Huh. Yeah, but drugs, uh, at least there was no allegations that drugs were at the center of the Corinne and um, DeMario incident. Right. Um, so, uh, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Um, and all, I also, this was sort of, I don't know, maybe typical. Um, both Evan Bass, who is the... Uh, Erectile dysfunction guy? Yeah, the whiny <laughs> guy who got engaged after last season's Bachelor in Paradise, and Ben Higgins, who is... Um, the prior Bachelor before Nick Viall, um, both of them came out to like defend the franchise and talk about what wonderful experiences they had. And Ben Hagen said, nobody forced me to do anything I didn't want to do. And it's just the tone deafness of both of their comments. I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise me, but it's just really disappointing. Like, just shut the hell up. <laughs> we don't need to hear from you two. Um, nobody, well, I'm sure there are some people who care what they think about this particular topic. I personally don't, and don't think they bring any value to the table, so should just go away. Just stop. Um, (laughs) Stop talking, please. Uh, anyway, in, um, I think more, uh, amusing, less frustrating, disappointing news, um, we're going to move on to a couple of topics that um, implicate First Amendment rights. Yeah, so the first case is actually, it's pretty interesting, at least to me. I mean, it's kind of amusing as well. So there is a man uh, whose name is, I can't even find his name right now, uh, Beckman, his, Russell Beckman. He is from sort of the Wisconsin-Illinois border. He is a season ticket holder to the Green Bay Packers, and he's a season ticket holder to the Chicago Bears. He um, is a Green Bay Packers fan, to be clear. He holds the he holds season tickets to the Bears solely for the purpose of seeing Bears Packers games at Soldier Field. And normally, most of the time, he said that he would sell or give away the other uh, the tickets to the other Bears football games. So um, he owns personal seat licenses for, I believe, five seats at Soldier Field. Um, and I don't know how many he, how many season tickets, or yeah, how many season tickets he holds at um, Lambeau Field. But as part of like purchasing the personal seat licenses, uh, you earn points, you know, much like you do with your credit card or whatever, that you can use um, for fan experiences at Bears games. So in like 2014 and 2015, he used his points. And bid and you know successfully bid to stand on the sidelines. I guess during like pre-game warmups uh, for ba- Bears Packers games. And in 2014 and 2015, he would stand on the sideline during this time frame, like just head to toe in Packers paraphernalia. It looks like he even dyed his beard green. 
Yeah. And he's, <laughs> um, yeah, he did. And so he's got a jersey on. He's got like gold or gold and green beads. Uh, his beard has been dyed green. I'm sure there's a cheese head that's just not in a picture, but I'm sure he has one. Um, so, you know, he, he did that two years in a row. So in 2016, he bid for that same experience again. And shortly before uh, the game, he was emailed by the Bears organization that he that he could not, and anyone participating basically could not wear rival gear on the field. And he engaged in some back and forth with the customer service representative um, about this and it's and the policy behind it and um, and they basically said if you try to do that you will be you know banned from from participating in this in this event so he you know he put on his paraphernalia got his and he went with some friends his friends were in nondescript um, non-team uh, clothing and they were able to participate but he was not able to participate and since that time he has written a very lengthy letter to the commissioner about his particular plight and it went unanswered and since it went <laughs> since it went unanswered did you read the letter it was one of the exhibits to his complaint i didn't is it awesome it's it's long it's like seven pages single space like i started watching football when i was like three years old sort of here's my history of football anyways um he decided to sue the Chicago Bears. He's not seeking money. Um, he's not, he says, you know, very, very self-aware that he's not a crusader for justice. He just believes that his First Amendment rights have been violated and that um, he's been deprived of his freedom of speech. Uh, and he wants an injunction, basically, because in 2017, he again successfully bid for this, like, sideline, um, experience, so he wants to be able to stand on the sideline in his Packers gear in 2017 um, when the Bears and Packers play each other. Um, he is representing himself, so he doesn't have an attorney, and if you read the complaint, you'd be like, pretty yeah, clear it's pretty he's clear. An attorney. Yeah. So, anyways, that was a very long story of a very... Um, uh, so, I guess the question is, now the First Amendment, um, which contrary to the beliefs of some armchair attorneys on social media, the First Amendment really only gets triggered when you have a government actor interfering with your right to speech. So, like, I, as a private citizen, could say to you, like, I don't want you, you know, making these comments in my business, or I don't want to have to listen to you saying mm -hmm. this stuff on social media, or if you're, you know, my employee, and you make all kinds of, like, crazy, well, comments that I disagree with, mm -hmm. um, Somewhere, you know, we can decide, like in the case of Demario Jackson, I suppose, that you're not going to be employed here anymore. Mm -hmm. There's no absolute right to free speech either under the First Amendment. Um, the government can set kind of reasonable limitations on your um, on your speech. So what is his kind of hook there? Because the Chicago Bears are a private company. The NFL is a private company. It does benefit from antitrust mm -hmm. regulations that allow it to be the only football league on the scene uh his hook to uh first amendment is that because soldier field is a publicly financed stadium uh somehow that transforms soldier field and the people who represent the bears into government actors huh mm -hmm. uh, so there's so 
Burke and I were both looking at each other like, that's probably pretty interesting. Probably not going to think it's a winning argument, no, but it's, it's not going to get very far. Uh, you know, the other problem I think for him is that when he purchased his private seat license, and even on the back of every single ticket, there are terms and conditions as to whether, you know, when you attend the game. Yeah. Um, you, when you agree by purchasing the ticket, when you walk through the gates, you agree to the terms and conditions on the back. You agree to the terms and conditions of your personal seat license. Whenever you click agree on any Apple product, you've agreed to, like, several pages of rules and I know nobody reads them. I think as John Oliver once put yes. it, they could drop Mein Kampf into the <laughs> middle of your Apple license agreement, and you would just click, like, yes, yes it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> so there are, so, you know, as Burke was explaining, like, free speech is kind of a misnomer. Like, you don't get to spout off anytime you want for any reason you want. Um, and even the government can regulate your speech. You can't shout fire in the middle of a crowded movie yes. theater and create a stampede. That is not protected by your First Amendment right. Um, so that's, I, you know, as Beckman said, that he's not trying to, he's not trying to change the world. I think he just wants to stand on the sidelines and he doesn't understand why basically the rules changed on him that he could do this in 2014 and 2015, but he couldn't do it in 2016. So that's, that's Mr. Beckman's plight. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything else? No, no, (laughs) no. Um, yeah, I just, I'm just, he's a a high school social studies teacher in Wisconsin. That's what I want to know. Where the hell does he get the money to buy five season tickets in Chicago and however many he has in Green Bay? Yeah. Um, maybe I should go become a teacher. I don't want to live in Wisconsin. It's too cold, but (laughs) it seems like, uh, he must be doing okay for himself. That was my other big question. Not really a legal issue, obviously. Yeah, no, it's, (laughs) um, so, so he said, you know, just to give a little bit. Back of background for him, he grew up. So I don't for people who aren't super familiar with the Midwest, Chicago um, is sort of on the northern end of the Illinois border, and you know Wisconsin borders it to the north. But he lives in this like strip that's I think 14 miles from the Illinois border. He can get to downtown Chicago from his house in like an hour and 15 minutes, according to him. So, um, it, so it's not like a it's not like you're driving hundreds and hundreds of miles between stadiums and, and things like that. It's, they're actually quite close together. Um, but that sort of brings up um, another case that has some ramifications to sports, but not not a ton. Uh, the Supreme Court this past week? Yes. Yeah. Um, in the case, and I don't even know the name of the case. It's the Slants v. something. Um, Probably the U.S. Trademark Mark. patent office. Yeah, was it? I think it might have been like shortened or something. Anyways, so the just so the slants wanted to register their band name with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and they were denied. Um, they were denied the ability to register the name because it was offensive or disparaging because because. Well, I don't know, like, I guess you probably have to provide some, like, explanation as to why you name that, maybe? I don't know. Um, but essentially, the the name The Slants was disparaging to Asian people who have been, you know, historically depicted with, like, slanted eyes and, and things like that. This is a band out of, I want to say Los Angeles, but um, they're Asian American, and they basically said, we're calling ourselves The Slants because we're taking that back, um, and we're empowering ourselves to... Um, 
you know, use use the term, but the U.S. Trademark and Patent Office denied their ability to do that, so they brought suit, and uh, a unanimous decision of the court said that, um, you know, while the government can has the ability to reasonably regulate speech, you can't regulate speech just because you find it offensive. Right. <laughs> so um, the implications this has for sports, and the case is um, captioned Matal, interim director for the United States Patent and Trademark mm-hmm. Office versus Tam, who is the lead singer for the band. Mm-hmm. Um, the the connection to sports is that, um, for those of you who have been following the saga of the Washington professional football team, um, their name, um, basically their trademark was revoked um, because their name is offensive. Uh, <laughs> and so the, um, you know, trademark patent and trademark office made a determination that, you know, we're not going to provide a trademark to, um, this offensive language, which for the, um, Washington football team could result in a significant loss of, um, income in terms of mm-hmm. its, uh, memorabilia and just merch in general. Cause you know, if you don't have a trademark, people can reproduce your logo and sell things at a much lower price. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Snyder, the owner of the um, Washington professional football team, which I, you may be laughing that I'm not going to say their team name, but it's fucking horrible and they really should just change it because it's super duper racist. And this is not a case of uh, a Native American person trying to reclaim their name. It's a white guy who it's is actual appropriation dug in on a you know ridiculous position and thinks that his you know, the historical fandom matters more than um, uh, just how it impacts people. Right. So um, the long story, long-ish, <laughs> the, the rationale for denying the slants, their trademark protection is very similar to the rationale that was used to deny the Washington professional football team with their, or to take away that trademark uh, since they had had it and it was just revoked. Um, Meaning that if the 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 Snyder and the team are challenging the revocation of their trademark, and based on this decision, it seems likely that they are going to have that trademark restored. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's sort of it, I guess. You know, the the hard thing, just as uh, sort of on a personal level, hearing this is with this band, you know, it's a group of Asian Americans who are trying to reclaim a word that has been used as a weapon against them. Mm -hmm. Um, so that story seems more kind of sympathetic and appealing to at least me, um, than the story behind the Washington football team's name, but that's not how you get to apply the law. The law just kind of applies Mm -hmm. equally to everyone. So if you're going to uphold it for, for the slants, you got to uphold it for the, um, Washington Washington football team (laughs) yeah and i mean and you're right it is it's one of those things where you're like this is just a band out of la and they're just like making their way in the world as opposed to like a multi-billion dollar corporation yeah um that is you know profiting off of a name that you know brings about a lot of pain and um you know very negative feelings for people not negative feelings towards people but you know for people um and the unanimous decision of the court, and, you know, I don't disagree, is that just because it's offensive doesn't mean that it, the, the government has any place in trying to regulate that. Um, one of the lines of the American president with um, Michael Douglas is that the First Amendment, like, just because 
you know, he will he will fight for the person's right to say things that are horrible because that's the right that is guaranteed to us under our constitution. Yeah. yeah. Um, even when it's just feels like a yeah unfortunate battle to be fighting. Um, mm-hmm. I think the thing I try to keep in mind is that you know we might be fighting on what's perceived as the right side today, but someday that could flip, and then you know the rules we want the rules to be there when. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got folks in power who maybe we would think are not using them correctly. So, um, particularly recently, yes, (laughs) I I felt really great about a lot of the rules we put in place that even though I might've been okay with, you know, prior administrations, uh, doing something different and glad they're glad they're there protecting us. Um, just in case anyone is really curious, it was an eight to zero, um, unanimous decision because um, because Gorsuch was not involved in the decision. Is that right? Yes. He was not there for oral arguments. Yeah. So, um, and he's yeah only recently joined the court. Um, so those are our. I don't he will be there for a very long time. <laughs> he is uh, his Colorado home is for sale. If anyone's interested, I have not taken the, the virtual tour of the home, um, but I'm going to imagine there's like a lot of cowboy paintings, <laughs> like bronze horses in there. I don't know why. He he seems like that kind of guy. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I don't, we don't have anything for a three minute warning and reality TV stoop. Uh, we, you know, obviously talked extensively about, uh, Bachelor in Paradise, but I don't think anything separate and apart from that. No, the Real Housewives have been quiet this week. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that we have much else to, to talk about, but, um, Thanks all for listening, and um, as always, please rate us on iTunes. Um, we appreciate um, any ratings you give us. Yes, any. five stars. Um, but any ratings would be great. Any ratings would be fine. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at UFR underscore BG. You can check out our website, underfurtherreview-bg.com, or um, feel free to email us at underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com. So thanks again for listening, and we will uh, be back for you next week. Thanks. Bye.